Did you know next Sunday is Christmas Eve? My. We're moving our worship times to the afternoon and evening, so we will have a 4 o'clock service and a 6 o'clock service. Please attend one of those. Uh, there'll be identical services. Um, so, but instead of the morning, they'll be in the evening next Sunday. And uh, we wish each and every one of you a Merry Christmas and uh, hope that you can share that with us next Sunday. Um, can you believe that Christmas is a week from tomorrow? Man, just let that sink in. Really, when you sing the carols and you, uh, you, you see all the activities that are going on, it really is the most wonderful time of the year in many, many ways. It's almost, a, you know, it's almost time, not quite, but it's almost time for me to start thinking what I'm going to buy for people, okay? Not quite yet, but almost. You know, I heard this week there's a small possibility of a white Christmas here in Georgetown, Texas. You know that? Yeah, really. Yeah, I'm really sure. We've already had our blizzard this year, haven't we? <laughs> exactly. We survived. We did. You know, Christmas does change things. It changes our schedules. It changes our activities. It changes the music we listen to, the food we eat, the places we go. It interrupts the normal stuff of life with this almost magical season. And when we look at this birth of Jesus Christ, well, could the same thing be true of it? Did it change things? Now, if you were living in first century Bethlehem, perhaps that night you wouldn't have noticed anything. Nothing different, unless, of course, you were one of the, those few particular shepherds. But except for them, everyone, even those living perhaps even next door to that inn, We've just have been oblivious that the world was being radically changed that day. The difference was not so much an immediate culture shift like we have today in Christmas season, but rather it was this, this deep, radical, spiritual change in the relationship between God and man. The Messiah, Jesus, was coming. And born that night. Now the context of our scripture today is this appearance of the angel to the shepherds. And I want to read this familiar story and then uh, make a few comments about it. Luke 2 verses 8 to 14. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round to them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there appeared with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You know, the first thing the angel says to the shepherds, 
Perhaps because he was looking at them and seeing their reaction is this comment, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In many ways, the fear there is based upon this, this suddenness of the appearance of the glory of God that was shining all around them, it says. But don't you think this message of don't be afraid is something God is communicating to us in this generation through the Christmas story? This constant declaration, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It's something that occurs often in the Christmas story. The angel told Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The angel told Mary, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And one of the things about the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ child, is this. The removal of fear has arrived. Aren't you glad that there is no reason anymore for fear? So we don't do that anymore, do we? We don't fear. Because the removal of fear has arrived. Now, I can't say that an angel has ever really appeared to me face to face, at least not that I've known. <laughs> There's never been that time where I've looked at the glory of God shining around about me in the face of an angel and, and being frightened to death. But I will say this, there have been many times in my life where God has made it clear to me the direction of his will and the initial reaction that I had to that was what? Fear. Many times God calls us to things that the initial response is either that's beyond us, it's more, more than I'm capable of, uh, how could I? Think of a young couple who finds out that uh, she's pregnant with their first child. Many of you have been there, right? There is this initial euphoric joy over such a blessing. But somewhere in those first few hours of getting this news, what occurs? This great what? Fear. I don't even know how to change a diaper. Am I going to mess this kid up? What have we gotten ourselves into? You know, Cindy and I, we have two adopted kids, and... Um, when they called us about our first, our son, we experienced this euphoric reaction. Can't believe we're having this baby. It's a little different when you adopt because at least back then, you aren't given any warning. We were told that sometime in the next two years, you might have a child, and that was three weeks before they called us. When they called, they said, well, he's ready to go. Could you come and pick him up? We were so filled with joy. And we were just so excited and elated. And then all of a sudden it hit. We don't have a car seat. We don't have a crib. We don't have diapers. We don't have formula. We don't have anything. Not only that, but this child was being placed into our hands. Fear. You know, it all worked out. <laughs> Our church heard the news. With, within hours, we had everything that we needed. 
You know, there's many ways in which God was saying to us through the church, very personally, don't be, what? Afraid. I got this. How many times do we need to hear God say that to us? Don't be afraid. What's God stirring in you? That could be both exciting and, and, and fearful to the point where you really need Him to say, don't be afraid. Maybe He wants you just to hear that today. You know, the appearance of the angel to the shepherds, I believe, is the first signal that grace has arrived. I want you to think about it. These were the despised of the society. These shepherds were despised by the rule-keeping Pharisees of the day because the shepherds virtually by nature of their occupation, were unable to keep the law. The demands of their flock prohibited them from keeping all those ceremonial laws. They could not observe all the meticulous hand washings and rules and regulations. So ask yourself the question, why would God specifically choose Jewish lawbreakers to be the first to receive the news of the Christ child. Well, it's, he wants to communicate something very specific. And I would say it's this. The new covenant of grace has arrived. Grace is here. It's often thought, as you probably know, that the reason that the shepherds were the first to hear the great news of the birth was to demonstrate God's access to all men, even to the poorest of the poor, of which they were. And no doubt that has some significance here, but the message of Christmas is not so much centered around giving the poor access to God. It is centered around the bringing of the new covenant of grace to fulfill the old. It is God revealing himself in this glory, declaring that peace on earth has come. No longer, and this is such great news, no longer will man live restlessly under the weight of trying to live right. Aren't you so glad we don't live under the restlessness of trying so hard to live right? Amen, right? We just don't do that anymore, right? God is giving Himself through His Son to provide all that is needed to Live the life for which we were created. In many ways, the demonstration of grace through the manger of Bethlehem, hear me, is a declaration of war. A declaration of war. And we don't often think of Christmas uh, this season of the year, this cozy and warm, and let's just all feel good and sing together and drink hot chocolate and eggnog and have parties. We don't think of this as being a declaration of war, this baby coming into this world. 
But I would contend that's exactly what it is. It's uh, just after his birth, what did Herod do? We've got to kill this new king. So we're going to kill all the babies just to make sure we get him. And yet it failed. And so the kingdom of God has come to win a victory, to restore man to our Father, to destroy and overcome the kingdoms of the world. As Jesus starts his ministry, the battle was primarily against the rule-keeping Pharisees, the church people of the day. This access to God that grace provided was so deeply offensive to the church people. You mean you're just going to forgive them? (laughs) You're not going to hold them to a standard? They had spent their whole lives proving that they were morally superior over other people and holding themselves to standards that they imposed upon other people. And uh, to be told that this profited them nothing. Wow, these are fighting words. And as you think about that, that, that battle that went on back then, I think one of the supreme questions that every Christian, every church really has to answer is, uh, how can I be part of seeing the lives of people changed? I mean, church, if we're not seeing people's lives changed, what are we doing, right? If people aren't growing in the faith, understanding the reality of Jesus Christ in them, Why do we even open the doors? That's why we exist. So how is it that people change? And the Pharisees would say that, uh, well, you've just got to hold them accountable. There's a written moral code. You've just got to read the Bible and read the commandments and just hold them accountable, condemn them when they fail, encourage them, To meet the standard. After all, if you don't have some standard to obtain, people are going to be undisciplined, they're going to be selfish, and society's going to suffer because there's a lack of compliance to the law, which is to promote order. And some of you may not like this, but now before you discount that, there is some truth there. Amen. There is an expectation of obedience in being a Christian, isn't there? Scripture teaches even in the covenant of of grace that behavior does matter. But my contention here is that what has happened is that so much of the church, and we have to be so careful because we slip into it so easily, we still attempt to get behavioral compliance the way the Pharisees did. There, there can be a constant appeal to obedience to a moral code. Oh, you, got, you must avoid sin. And you must serve the way God expects you to serve. And so in many ways, the weight of trying to live right has not lifted in people's lives. The whole message that peace on earth has come. That's not world peace. That's peace on earth has come here. It's lost. 
How can I have an inner peace with God when I am always so restless in my inability to live the way He expects me to live? I I truly believe that the fact that God chose the unclean, the shepherds, to be the first to which this birth announcement came signals this radical change, this exposure of God's grace. Does God know that we can't live the way we ought to live? Does God know that? Amen. He knows that. And so he is not out there setting out these rules and standards and just saying, you must, you've got to, you try harder. He's saying, I want you to come to this humble place. I mean, you can have this picture of the manger, this place of really brokenness, insignificance. I have nothing to offer. And I come and I receive everything. I don't earn it. I can't achieve it. I I receive it. Everything that matters to Him. This is so critical for our lives, for our church. One of the things I hope we understand is that none of us, well, I don't think any of us, will ever achieve a moral perfection. I don't know, any of you out there have gotten there? Aren't we all broken? Insufficient? in and of ourselves. And it's critical because it impacts how we treat other people. If I understand that who I am and all the good that comes out of me is a product of the life of Jesus Christ that lives in me, setting me free from my own pursuit of uh, value, of reward, of commendation, of reputation... I can set that aside because all that comes out of me that's any good is Him. And I can rest in that. It gives me the grace to extend to other people. Have you ever met somebody that your initial reaction is, ugh? You know what I'm talking about, right? Not sure I want to be their friend. How do you react to annoying people? Do you have any annoying people in your life? Do not look at the spouse sitting next to you, please. You know what I'm talking about, right? Annoying people. How do you treat sinful people? It's easy, folks, isn't it, to fall into this pharisaical way of uh, the only way they're going to change is to impose rules. Romans 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, which is produce goodness in you. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. 
sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement, what the law says, those standards of the law might be fulfilled in us. Because we do not walk according to the flesh, our own efforts, but according to the Spirit. You know, we can't change anybody. Right? We can't change anybody. Our ministry can't change anybody. Our preaching can't change anybody. But we know who can. Because <laughs> we know he changed us. And so this announcement to the shepherds. Grace has arrived. Freedom from the law of self-effort, sin and death. Trying to live right, but never getting there. Is over. Grace has given us access to the very life of the Spirit of God who lives in us and through us and is our life and our identity. Back to the scene. After the angel speaks, what happens? <laughs> Can you imagine even being there? First of all, the angel, you're terrified. And then after the angel on his very last word, what happens? Whew. From horizon to horizon, there are angels. Literally, probably millions of angels. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it's not only the sky that is filled with this light and these angelic beings and they're saying these things. There is this glory. It doesn't tell us what the glory is. I think the shepherds knew exactly what it was, though. It just says it shone, meaning light. And the point would be this, the release of God's glory has arrived. Glory to God in the highest, they said, the angels, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. I wonder if we truly realize the radical change this is. I mean, it's kind of a cute part of the Christmas story. It's kind of a nice part of the Christmas story. It's kind of the heavenly has come to invade the earthly, and it's just a wonderful scene. But do we understand the radical change that this is bringing into our world? Exodus 33, we have the story of Moses. What did Moses want to see more than anything else? He wanted to see the glory of God. And God said, Okay, I'll allow you to see some, perhaps just a glimpse of the glory, but Moses, you won't survive it. You are not able to look upon the glory of God without dying. And so I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock. And I'm going to allow my glory to pass by. 
but I will protect you from it. And this was necessary because Jesus had not yet come and the veil of the temple had not been torn and unleashed the glory of God into the lives and the hearts of people. And uh, Well, you can see from the story of Christmas how powerful this shift is. You can see from the story of Moses how powerful the glory is. And so we go to the shepherds. They're seeing something that had not even... Not even Moses could have seen without perishing. And the glory of God was unleashed into this world because of the birth of this child. And mankind has direct, face-to-face access to God's glory. What a radical change. And I think perhaps in our day and age... We kind of hear that and we've kind of gotten used to throwing around this term, the glory of God. It's kind of like, yeah, so what? Yeah, the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. All right? I want you to think of this. I want you to think of the glory that would have killed Moses had he seen it. I want you to think of the glory of the Lord shining all around the shepherds. I, think, I want you to think of wall-to-wall angels in the skies, in the midst, in the revelation of the glory of God. I want you to think of the power and the might and the demonstration that God is putting on here. As I read 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, you and I are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Christians, all Christians, Not only behold the glory, we reflect the very glory of God. We are the image bearers of Christ Jesus. It says earlier in the chapter that the Jews read the law with veiled hearts. They don't see the glory. But we, through the presence of the Spirit of Christ living in us, behold the glory of God. And we see it more and more in its revelation by the ways in which we are continually being transformed. Do you think the shepherds were forever different by the encounter of God's glory that night on that side of the hill? I do. And just the same for us. Every encounter with the glory of God changes us. It says we're being transformed, changed from glory to glory to glory. And you may be here today and you say, I, I just need some deep spiritual change. There's things in my life, some barriers, some things I can't get over in my life. I just want some, I really want God to give me uh, an extra dose of something to not yield to temptation. I want God to give me something that opens me up and removes the confusion in my life. I really want God to do spiritual work. I would say we need to hunger for more of God's glory. Because the transformations that happen in our life are the revelation of how wonderful and awesome and mighty 
he is. You know, the last point I would make is this. A new kind of king has arrived. A new kind of king has arrived. I know we talk about this a lot, but uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I I talk about it a lot because I'm still trying to get this. (laughs) Still trying to understand it and and, and embody it and, and realize the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of which we are surrounded in the world today. Everything about the Christmas story is a clash of God's kingdom with the way man's kingdom operates. Instead of a closely protected pregnancy, it's a difficult journey on the back of a donkey at the most inconvenient time. Instead of a palace, it's a stable. Instead of Jerusalem, it's little Bethlehem. Instead of handmaids and servants attending the birth, it's just Mary and Joseph, probably teenagers, can you imagine? To mankind, the birth was obscure. To heaven, it was the greatest event in human history. It was customary in those days that when a boy was born, the musicians would gather and there would be this great celebration of music. And Not with this scene. To mankind, it's oblivious. Completely unaware. No musicians were there. But the heavens were what? (laughs) Singing the glory of God. It's so fascinating to me how God uses such real human things to show how He does things. He chooses the peasant town of Nazareth to be the home of the king. He chose the little town of Bethlehem, the stable, the manger, the shepherds. He wants us to know that His kingdom will not be built on human power and authority. In fact, He demonstrates a total lack of those things to show the power of His kingdom. The teaching of Jesus and his ministry. Those those that want to be great in my kingdom need to be what? Servants. Those who want to know real living and real life in my kingdom will be required to lose their life. If you really want to enter my kingdom, you'll do so as the humbleness of a little child, he says. And I think we have to get in our mind that there is uh, there's no compromise. There's no mixing of the two. Jesus didn't come to give us a, 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 a better chance at the old system. Jesus came to get rid of that and to usher in this new. It makes us think of where in our lives maybe we're trying to mix these two kingdoms and have one foot in the world and one foot in his kingdom. And where do we operate more like the world system than the heaven system? And are the values of God's kingdom the values I live by? I think about this message and I think maybe you live in fear today. 
Maybe there's something that is just kind of causes anxiousness or, or worry. And uh, even though the removal of fear is common, maybe you still live under this weight of trying to live up to certain standards. Even though the new covenant of grace is coming, you're never going to make it. But in him, in his life, he is going to empower that. Or maybe you've limited, minimized what God can do. What God can do. Even though His glory has come. Jesus truly does change everything. He has changed everything. Father, in uh, these moments that we spend together, this last week before Christmas, and the focus on your life and your birth, and we can't really see your birth separate from the totalness of your life and the shift that you made and the ways in which you lived your life and you confronted not only the values of the world, but the values of the church, the, the, the religion of the day. And Father, we sing these carols about uh, the humbleness of the manger. And yet, Father, there's, uh, there's this connection with that manger, with that scene, perhaps, that uh, as I think about the way I live and the ways in which I impose upon other people, and uh, perhaps, Father God, I just need to be reminded of this baby in a manger that... Uh, that calls me to that place. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for the reality of this season. I thank you for the coming of Christ, the incarnation of the divine, that we may know the reality of grace. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's stand.